0: Hi, this is Donnie V, and you're listening to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. Check it out. Welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show episode number 50. 50? We are halfway to 100. Seems like just yesterday that we started. I am your host, Joe Sebelia, and tonight's guest is actor Keith Coogan. Keith started his acting career at the age of 5 years old and then went on to star in various television shows from the 80s, such as Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, Love Boat, Knight Rider, Mork and Mindy, The and Shirley, Silver Spoons, Chips, I mean, you name it, Keith was on that show. Keith then made the jump to the big screen with his first role being The Fox and the Hound as the voice of young Todd, and then went on to star in other hit movies such as Adventures in Babysitting, Hiding Out, Cousins, Under the Boardwalk, Toy Soldiers, and also Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, just to name a few. Now, Keith is also the grandson of the great Jackie Coogan. Jackie Coogan starred with Charlie Chaplin in the classic the kid which made him one of the first child stars in the history of hollywood jackie coogan also played uncle fester on the adams family tv series in the 60s if you enjoy listening to the rock and roll coffee show please make sure to go over to instagram and find us at RR coffee show follow us there follow us on facebook and don't forget to go over to itunes and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Keith Coogan. This Joe?
1: Yes, this is Keith Coogan.
0: I kind of thought it was Keith Coogan. How are you, Keith?
1: I'm good, how are you? <laughs> Hi!
0: I'm doing good. Surprise! Right. Oh, no surprise. Thanks for joining me on this uh, Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast.
1: Hi. Pleasure to be on it. Thank you.
0: Hey, we are recording, just so you know.
1: That's, of course, I'll, I'll say all of the wrong stuff right now.
0: Perfect. Perfect. You can hear me okay?
1: I, you, you sound great. How, how am I coming in?
0: You're coming in great. I always like yes. to check that because, you know, with this technical stuff, I always have to thank the technical gods when it works. You never know yes. when it's not going to work. Oh, no. You can have
1: a, um, I'm on someone else's Wi-Fi. Uh, they have a Windows, which always scares me because I could go into <laughs> an update at any moment.
0: Oh, don't you hate that with Windows? Yeah, that, that's the worst. But anyway, I realized
1: my Mac, my Mac had been running for probably five months straight, and uh-huh. I hadn't even even reset it or turned it off. And I was like, I should, I should give it a rest for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, done both Windows and Mac. I'm kind of a Mac guy right now.
0: Well, you're you're kind of a computer guy, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Program a little bit, can put one together and take it apart. In that order, uh, and uh, yeah, totally. Computers are where it's at, and Hey, when I was a kid, if you told me um, that they'd have a little palm-sized computer that could talk to everywhere on the world and translate for you, and you could read every book ever written, and and you know, live video calls, and I, I'd be like, nah, right? You're sniffing, you're sniffing glue. Nice sci-fi though. I've seen all that stuff in Star Trek and Blade Runner and all these other cool shows. Uh, so here we are living in the 20 minutes into the future
0: yeah 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 so uh, you used to do a podcast also correct
1: I did I did a a, a non-terrestrial radio show um, at uh, Skid Row Studios
0: downtown LA they
1: had a great uh, bunch of different types of shows from um, uh, veteran homeless reports uh, music scenes uh, I did the kind of entertainment, kind of geeky tech thing, mm-hmm. you know, news and politics would come in because it was a weekly show. And okay. the hardest thing is arranging guests and yes. producing and, and basically getting guests lined up.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah that, that can be a struggle sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. I did 50 uh, hours and uh, it was a great challenge. Very fun. It was uh, So it was live. So we still called it radio, but it was delivered through apps and things and so you know sure. at that point it was early so people had a radio app there was a skid row studios app and it would stream it live and it was just great technology behind it all and it was way ahead of the curve yeah, yeah and then it would be archived and people could listen to a past episode um but it it was more treated and felt like with call-ins and and the way that we did it that it was a live radio show
0: when when was this
1: Oh, uh, I want to say 2012.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah, and it's not around any longer. I'm assuming.
1: No, but I found some feeds, um, some old archives of episodes. You're going to put um, them sometimes out Sometimes I'll, I'll find listings, and then sometimes I'll find them. And so I haven't consistently been able to like really find them and lock onto them. Uh-huh. Um, just hope they're hope they're saved. If not, it was. Um, it, like i said treated more like a radio show so uh, something archived like that might not be as connecting with people as yeah. it is. today people can talk about what happened this morning
0: right right I see. But then
1: also people will time shift right. plus network tv tries to you know add like a plus three so if you watched it immediately live or you watched it on your you know tivo dvr a few days later it still counts as ratings for advertisers on that huh. first night and then they have a plus five and a plus seven and et cetera interesting Um, so the uh, but the time shifting yeah that's been a big deal I mean I was there when the VHS came out well VHR and Betamax and um, that there was an Olympics or something going on and whoever's doing the um, Olympics that year said that yes your soap operas won't be you know on at the regular time and a lot of people were upset yeah they said, oh, I'm not going to get up at 2 in the morning to watch it. And they said, ah, set your new, you know, RCA VHS <laughs> to record it. And they started airing the soaps at 2 in the morning at the same schedule as they aired them, you know, at noon. Yeah. And so it, I saw that kind of time shifting become a thing. Yeah, now it's yeah. any time anybody wants anything. They just have it now instantly now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're about the same age close to it, I, I think. I, I remember my first uh, VCR, we got, had a, a remote control with a cord. You remember that? Nice.
1: <laughs> nice. I Yeah, I don't even know if we had that. I remember we had a TV that had, um, this was my grandparents' TV, and had a clicker, but it was a, I want to say like a toy, like a dog toy, like a clicker. It makes a clicking sound, uh-huh. but it clicked at a frequency to hit it was like it sent a infrared, maybe, and this is back in the day, and so you had to point it right at the TV, and it was a square, you know, brown and tan, you know, beige um, remote that matched, matched this huge Magna box or whatever, and you'd have to click, and then the channel you'd see the, you know, the <laughs> row, the knob where you turn the channel would physically cl- clunk, clunk, move, nice, ghost style, but it was, you know, wireless. That was, that's, yeah, you know, that such is. future technology. Wow.
0: Yeah, look at us now. <laughs> but, um, so your grandparents, I mean, you mentioned your grandparents, let's talk about that. I'm sure you've talked about this multiple times, but for our listeners that aren't aware of your grandfather, Jackie Coogan, <laughs> 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 he was a, uh, probably one of the first childhood stars.
1: Yes. Uh, I like to say he's the world's first film child star. There were stage child stars. Uh, there was a notable uh, kid in France. Uh, there were um, film kids that had little parts and stuff. But with Chaplin, that became a worldwide experience with the kid. And with the you know silent films, you could take title cards and uh, interstitials and just put them in whatever local language. So that film was. You know d- distributed around the world in multiple language and that made him the first film you know trial star worldwide you know known and uh it, it was uh, post World War one where there was a you know a lot of orphans from mm-hmm. World War I, and some essays have said that collectively the world adopted my grandfather as their little lost uh-huh. ragamuffin. Street mm-hmm. urchin orphan, and he could kind of represent that rags to riches story in subsequent films produced by his own production company, Jackie Coogan Productions. Um, Chaplin had said that they would never work again together. There was no need to revisit that or tell another story, but he did hand his college sweater to Jackie. That was the shrunk red college sweater that Jackie wore in the kid, and he gave it to him at the end. And he goes, nice. "The character's yours." Do what you want. I'm not going to do anything with it, but you you can, basically. And so he did a repetitious and derivative number of films like uh, Peck's Bad Boy, Daddy, uh, My Boy. Uh, he did other big budget, like MGM Productions, like Long Live the King, uh, Little Robinson Caruso. And then aged up, uh, Talkies came along when he was about 13. So he started in The Kid at five. Wow. And talkies came along and he did Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn with um, uh, his best friend at the time, basically, Junior Durkin. And uh, then he aged up, he even did a haircut movie. Because his little Jackie Coogan page boy haircut was famous. So he did a movie called Johnny Get Your Hair Cut and uh, cut his hair in the film. There you go. Um, and then he went into the military with buttons. And then he was in French Leave with Cooper. So that confuses people between Jackie Cooper and Jackie Coogan. As the R Gang kids are very similar to the kid. And Cooper and Coogan work together. And they're both Jackies. And then my grand-uncle, Robert Coogan, starred in the Suki series of Two Reelers, co-starring Jackie Cooper. Huh. So Cooper worked with both of the Coogan brothers, <laughs> Robert and Jackie. And... uh that that is always it. Always they Your your grandfather. You know, not only was he in Superman, did he direct? Isn't he great director? And I'm like, no, that's Jackie Cooper. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when he died, I got a lot of great condolences. Cooper. I mean, I'm like, yeah, my grandfather died in '84, but that's sweet of you. Thanks for thinking <laughs> thank of us. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's nice to be thought of. My yeah, grandfather yeah. said, so "There's you know, no such thing as bad press as long as they spell your name right."
0: Oh yeah, I guess so, right? And then, so he went on to play probably uh, uh, the role I loved with him was Uncle Fester.
1: Yes. uh, The uh, TV version. And he had to audition for it, which was new to him. He had never auditioned for a role before that. And he shaved his eyebrows and his head and, uh, you know, more Death Cloak and the dark circles under the eyes. And uh, he loved it, just embodied it. And, um... uh, you know, very recognizable and fun character. It's it's a fun family. A little more subversive than maybe the Munsters.
0: Slightly yeah. less. I, I was um, always an Adams family dates. fan.
1: Oh, I, I was both, but I, no, I like them Adam's both family, too. But yeah, no connection. You know, Munsters is a little more palatable with the Hammer horror, recognizable Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, you know, type creatures. Yeah, yeah. The Adams family was more just subversive it was sharp quick humor um and uh it's you know at different ages you get different things out of the adams family's material
0: did he ever uh talk to you about that audition
1: no uh we heard from my grandmother who said that uh, she caught him doing the um you know shaving his uh, eyebrows and stuff and, uh-huh. and she goes what are you doing and he goes getting ready for the audition and she goes it's just an audition you don't have to do that for the audition yeah that, and he said i didn't know i've never auditioned for anything
0: well then, i was i was asking because i was just wondering if if he made that character character or if that's how they wanted the character you know what i'm saying
1: yes it's very close the, the physical appearance because uh, there are uh, photos online of screen tests of um at least two other actors and the same day as a test with my grandfather. So you see all of them with bald caps and makeup and stuff. And um, they're all could be believable festers Hmm. with that kind of makeup design. But uh, yeah, but I think his enthusiasm and his fun and his love of the the kids, um, Wednesday and Pugsley and uh, his general... Readiness to uh, go to bat for the whole any time. If someone needs to duel, he'd love to step up and 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 do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he ever I put the light bulb his in his mouth for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, but we had we had have one. This little foil thingy, you know. His had the original had a wire that goes out the other side of the mouth. That's on the opposite side of camera. They're uh-huh. not battery operated. Uh-huh. They're wire, so they would shock him, hurt, <laughs> cut the inside of his mouth because they're all wired and stuff in the inside. Um, and uh, but now, of course. They have prop ones that they sell at the novelty store, and uh, so our family has one of those prop novelty ones, not uh-huh. an original prop light bulb, which probably be very dangerous.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with the with your family being in entertainment in the, the industry, is that what led you to become an actor, or how did you get know you wanted to be an actor?
1: Uh, just from watching TV and uh, enjoying seeing kids on TV, and um, I. Was too young to know what family you know I was for,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or yeah, four or five. So um, I just you know mentioned I want to be on TV, and my mother mentions um, she goes, "Well, okay, well first you got to get an agent, and then join the union, then you gotta do commercials, then you move up to guest appearances on TV shows, and then you do you know little parts in movies." And I go, "That's too much work. I don't know." And I wasn't interested in it for about six months. And she'd said, in commercials, you have to learn to, like, do a song and dance that they might have a commercial. I'm like, oh, no, no way.
0: Oh, jeez, dance.
1: So, you know, six months later, and maybe she had friends over or something, and uh, uh, a commercial's on, and there's, like, a song in the commercial. And I jump right into the living room, and I'm just very singing the song and thing. And then I turn to my mother, and I go, okay, I'm ready. I, I'll, I'll do what it takes.
0: <laughs> so it was in the blood. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I think it might be, um, but that's probably something observed. It could be half genetic and then half observed. You yeah. know, just learn behavior from these carnival freaks. <laughs> right.
0: So folk so have no
1: normalcy. They're, you know, during a good year, they're hired and fired six times. Wow. So what it does to somebody to not have a constant source of income up and down one moment the next oh you got a bad review oh you got a great review um that people enjoy that so my family is very dramatic
0: (laughs) Was was your mom an actor?
1: no she was a uh as a child they tried her as an actress she got an agent and uh did a uh Bosco commercial which is like a chocolate syrup and um yeah, uh, Had to just drink gobs of it and started smarming off to the director. And she, my mother doesn't like, pe- you know, I have people tell her what to do, so she doesn't take direction well. Uh-huh. And she's all even, you know what, I like her. she's better or Nestle's. She like, I like Nestle's better. And they're like, just get, get rid of her. Uh, so she never worked again as an actress. But oh, man. Um, in the 80s, she started doing stand up comedy. Uh, At the beginning of the comedy store time, and uh, so I traced around with her from you know different uh, uh, comic comedy venues around LA as she developed her act, and later as you know she started working and training comics, and we got um, John Wayne Bobbitt as a client to uh, train him to be a stand-up comic and then write material for him and put him on stage. Wow. He spent the night at my house. Let me just really, Um, yeah, very strange. So in the business, you since we grew, I grew up in the poor part of Malibu, which is filled with hippies and you know very rich people. All of them are crazy. They're under the influence of something, and uh, mostly greed. A lot of yuppies when I was growing up, seventies, eighties, and um, so everyone was very uh, extravagant. And what's the word if if you're poor? And you're, you act differently, they call you crazy. But if you're rich and you act differently, they call you eccentric. So there were a lot of both eccentric and, ex- you know, uh, extravagant people uh, when I grew up. Small mm-hmm. community. Everybody knew everybody. We had like one homeless guy, old Malibu Joe. Because um, it was a community of maybe 12,000 people at the time. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So Everybody knows everybody's business, and everybody's in a band. Oh, what band's he in? Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay. But what's he in? He was just nominated for an Oscar. Oh, okay. Who's that? You
0: know. Yeah, yeah.
1: They have a TV show. They have a movie. They had an old, you know, film career. Um. So it was. Uh. I was wise to the other end of the business.
0: Sure. Sure. Now your mom sure. seemed to know. It. It seems like she knows. Knew the path for you to take you said like the commercials you know into the tv into the movies and that seemed to work out for you
1: yes um not without trying to get into movies earlier than um 16 or 17 uh-huh. uh so I had auditioned for many things you know starting at a very young age for films that I really wanted to get into but just didn't get in and uh you know the shining and et and goonies
0: the shining. And gremlins what, what role in the shining
1: Danny Torrance.
0: Yeah, going for that, huh?
1: Yeah, um, went up for Stand by Me, and you know, A Christmas Story, and uh, Breakfast Club, and Say Anything, and you 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 go up for basically everything that's even close to your age, <clears throat> and um, you know, some one of these days it it, it breaks. Things things happen. Things break.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you started in commercials, is. Is acting in a commercial, I mean, is that easier than acting in a TV show? Or is it the same thing, just different process?
1: It's a different kind of skill set. Uh-huh. Um, you will use a lot of the skill set you learn during commercials later uh, when you work in film and television. I don't know that it transfers to theater or stage at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you learn um, what what's up on a set. What's that called? What does that do? You learn how it affects what the image looks like. You start to learn it positions on the crew. You learn where to stand, what's a mark. Okay. Oh, are gonna do it over again? Oh, do it, do it over again. Oh, do, mm-hmm. do it over again. Make it, look, make it look like it's the first time. Oh, do it like the second time we did it? Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of learn that technique. Yeah. And it's fast. You do a lot of setups and a lot of shots all day. And it's basically you're a flesh prop. They're featured mm-hmm. on the product. They're spending more line on the lighting on the product than they are on you. Yeah. So it's great. You get in there. It's quick. It's pretty anonymous, unless you, you know, messy Marvin or um, hey Mikey. He likes it. Occasionally, there are actors that break and become known for a certain cheeseburger or mm-hmm, a certain mm-hmm. deviled ham, mm-hmm. and then that could limit. So my my mother was always afraid of. Me becoming too big for any one thing, she so said. You want to run warm for your whole career, but you never want to be hot because mm-hmm. then you can go cold. Right. So that right. was very interesting. It was like build it up, build it, up. and you know I learned to steal the, the scene and steal the focus and help on set. I'm a child, so don't waste time. By mm-hmm. the time I was from six to sixteen, so I was doing for a while. It was just commercials. Then it moved into you know guest appearances on like Chips and Love Boat and such. By around seven or eight years old, but I still did commercials the whole time. My first commercial was a McDonald's commercial, and my last commercial was a McDonald's commercial in '86 when I was 16. So I did 100 national commercial, like like Cool Whip and Texaco and and uh, Charmin and Pringles. Huge, huge. Got to work with mascots of all of these cereals and products and food.
0: That's a lot of commercials.
1: Yeah, that's where you really get your feet wet in the iconography of television. Mm -hmm. And that Mr. Whipple is a pretty big deal. As a matter of fact, I did one of my first commercials with Viewmaster Viewer with Henry Fonda. Really? And believe it or not, more people were freaked out about meeting Mr. Whipple than they were about meeting Henry Fonda. And that Mm -hmm. has something to do with the power of how many people watch television versus how many people go see a movie.
0: Huh. Do you remember the first time you saw yourself on TV in a commercial?
1: Nah, but uh, um, I don't. Um, and it, because once I started working, it just kept, do, you know, working and kept doing it. And so you'd catch it. You'd be recording a guest appearance on one of your own shows. And, oh, I'm on Fantasy Island. Let's record it. So you're recording it, and one of your own commercials will come on during it, so then you Archive that. go mm-hmm. oh, cool! We have one of those commercials recorded, but it wasn't easy to get a hold of them. And and but I did do national commercials. I didn't do regional. They were all nationwide commercials, which mm-hmm. was um. Look, if an actor asks me about the business, or they want to get into the business, and they're like, "Just the money. I just want to make the money." And I, I will then recommend, "Then do commercials," because the money is. I did a Wrigley Spearmint Gum commercial, and got paid. 50 for 15 minutes of
0: work. Wow. Yeah. Commercials. That's where it's at. If you want the money. Commercials is where it's at. (laughs) So you did your, (laughs) you went through your commercials and then you starred in basically every great show of that era. Uh,
1: Right. I mean, I am thrilled. They're fun. There's some awful ones in there too. Ones you've never heard of. Ones that got canceled uh, had false starts on TV series like, um, uh, Mackenzie's of Paradise Cove, uh, and, uh, Gunshy, Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang. Uh, but then, uh, had a nice stint on the Walton's, which settled little name for myself because Walton's, even at, you know, 79th in ratings by the eighth season, it still was millions of people watching. And yeah. so that really does help.
0: Yeah, you um, you did the Walton's Little House on the Prairie, uh, Knight Rider, Growing Pains, Silver Spoons. I mean, you name it, you did. The only one I don't think you did, but maybe you did. Maybe I'm wrong. Is the A Team?
1: Nope, did not do the A Team. I did Eight Is Enough. Yeah, I did. Uh, um, oh, some I did McLean's Law, which was with James Arness. Um, he was a detective that lived on a boat in Marina Del Rey. I did. Uh, Movies of the Week and after-school specials, uh, like uh, Treasure of Alphaeus T. Winterborn. I wound up doing an after-school special um, with Sam Rockwell, with one of his first jobs. (laughs) Uh, When I was just before Adventures in Babysitting, I think. And um, So a lot of fun jobs in TV. Movies of the Week, um, Disney Sunday movies, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So then after TV, your first... Big break in the movies was Adventures in Babysitting, correct?
1: Yes, because um, my family didn't count The Fox and the Hound because it was only right, an
0: animated. Right, right. I we forgot the, you did you know, that You see one.
1: my face on screen. And um, that's tough when you're in an entertainment family. The bar is held very high. Yeah, <laughs> you don't you... get brownie points. They're actually like, yeah, but it's not like a movie movie. Oh, <laughs> wow, a movie. tough crowd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you did uh, the voice of Young Todd.
1: Yeah, the Fox. And you know who the hound was?
0: It was uh Corey Feldman. Correct. Right. Yes.
1: Correct. And then older we were uh Kurt Russell and um uh oh gosh. Mickey Rennie, that's right.
0: Okay, okay. So doing voice work, is that more difficult than acting for you?
1: I only did the one voice job um, ever even I've won up for lots of Project Lion King, Hunchback of Notre Dame hundreds of other animated voice projects, TV, film only got the one job
0: Uh
1: had the appropriate raspy we were really that age we were 8 they started animating in 1978 it was released in 81 by the time I was 11 Um, but they recorded our voices during those years So they'd record a little bit with me and Corey and then wait six months while they animated and then bring us back into the studio as our voices got a little older. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was – it's harder because they take away two of the things I'd relied on and I'd learned from my grandfather because he came from silent film and my great-grandfather had come from vaudeville. So it's very broad, and you use your body and you use your eyes. And in animated, you're just using your voice, Mm -hmm. period. Mm The day they'll video record for reference somebody doing the part so they can kind of build in your performance into it but back then it was just record the voice so that was tough sure um, yeah were you, guys, really
0: were you guys were you guys together the in the studio or were you individually recording
1: individually recorded
0: oh man that had to be even harder
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we were with uh, one of the assistant directors Who's got a huge legendary career, but he could do the all the voices and all the Mickey and Goofy voices. Um, uh-huh. uh, which would if we were kind of lagging or it was, you know, a long day, he'd go, Over, over, ar, let's get rid of You'd be like, That's a dead on goofy. He's like, I actually do the voice for Goofy. And you're like, Oh well, uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So then So then eventually
1: babysitting, yes, that was my first uh uh first uh, feature and uh How old and, were you? i was 16 and i turned 17 on the set
0: okay so all during this time too you were in public school i take it right
1: yes i was in public school and acting and then i graduated at 16 and started college um and had just started college maybe eight weeks when i got adventures in babysitting so i had to pull out of college
0: Mm -hmm. do you remember your audition for that movie
1: Oh yeah, uh, auditions and then screen tests. So I vividly remember our screen tests, and that was uh, that was uh, you know real film cameras and um, they're mixing and matching different babysitters and different uh, Brads and Daryls and Sarahs, and uh, so it's a you know you're a nervous wreck. You want to get the job. Yeah, you're, you're doing uh, the babysitter had to do two scenes, a scene at the door. Uh, with, you know, uh, her date being sick and they did a scene in the car, um, which is like either telling about, uh, the jerk of a boyfriend, um, babysitter, scrape, scrape, scrape. Uh, and then they had a Daryl and Brad scene, which was on the L train, which was kind of material from two other different scenes as we know it now. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, Brad and Daryl and Sarah were all in the car scenes. So, the car scenes, all four cast members would rotate. All right, you know, Keith, get out. Someone else, go in. And then at one point, they had me and Anthony and Rap switch. They're like, you know, uh, Anthony, you're Brad now. Keith, you're Daryl. Then they switched us back.
0: Just to see how that
1: would go. Just to see how that would go. Maybe it reinforces that I'm Brad.
0: You're right,
1: right. Anthony could. You know, portray Daryl. I think Anthony had the tougher job. He had um, on the page something that could be very caricature-y, and he turned it into a real character.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you there? Yes, I, uh, I, I, I hear, oh. hear you drinking. Okay, sorry. I <laughs> no, just,
1: sorry, cool. I brewed all of the.
0: Um, <sighs> so, wait, did you know you were getting that role? like did you have the feeling that you were going to get it or
1: no after trying out for so many things you're pretty defeatist at that point you're like well it's another one you really want you're not gonna get Mm -hmm. and i did um break down and cry in front of chris columbus he pulled me off to the side during the uh, audition uh yeah it was before like going out and filming some more scenes Uh and um Uh, Just he's now checking in on me and what's going on. And I I told him that I was really afraid that I would get this one. I was afraid of success. I was afraid of getting it and shooting it and the challenge and that, you know, that it would change everything. It would be something that I'd wanted for a long time. So it was really a lot of pressure and stuff. And, um, right. I felt that he really supported me in the part and, um, went to bat with me. He's like, I really think this is the broad, um, and so I really thank Chris Columbus for you know putting yeah. me in first movie. <laughs> right
0: when when um, where were you when they called you and told you you got the part?
1: Don't remember <laughs> it all. Don't remember it all. I would say yeah. I have no yeah, idea. I, no I idea. really don't remember. I do remember where I was for most other movies.
0: You had to be um, shitting your pants though. Excited as hell.
1: Um, yeah, well, yes, you're also getting contracts and you're getting, um, you're signing a three picture deal. So you got to go over that. You're getting, um, updated scripts and pages constantly production schedules. You got to deal with your passport and your travel. Oh, You don't need one for Canada. You do, you might. Okay, let's get one. Um, you're dealing with, uh, getting currency, getting Canadian dollars to go spend up there. And they have to give you money when you cross the border and you're working in Canada. It's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, taking a job in another country. They're like, why is the Canadian taking this job? And then you have to explain it, and you have to have, you have to pay money at the border. So if you fly in, let's say to Toronto, where we shot for two months, you fly in, and you have to go through customs and have an envelope prepared with cash in Canadian currency that already is matched up with you know the job, the production, what address you're staying at, how much you're going to make during this time, and then there's this graph that kind of comes off of that you you pay basically to them and their a labor department so that and then you pay taxes in Canada and that helps you here or you can I don't know it's it's interesting it's different so that was a lot to deal with at 16 mm-hmm. and we went up first we flew up to Toronto for rehearsals because look two weeks of rehearsals you could pre- pretty quickly know as a filmmaker hey this isn't working out or this one needs to be recast or we uh-huh. got to work with this one a little more before you roll any film.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You're in the middle of a side office in the production office. You know, literally it's costing them no extra money to rehearse. There's a little extra food and hotel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, we took a holiday break uh, and came back uh, first week of January and, um, and went right to work. And so, you know, everyone was totally ready. Everyone had worked before on film and television. There was no newbies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Chris Columbus, you know, do exactly what he was doing and exactly what he wanted. And uh, we're surrounded by really great support. Um, Great crew. uh, You know, everyone worked really hard for two months in Toronto. Then we had to leave a lot of our uh, Canadian crew and go to Chicago. So there's, you know, U.S. has a lot of union rules and stuff, and if you're in Chicago, unless they're a department head, um, you better to leave a lot of key people up in uh, Toronto, which was heartbreaking. So we had to say goodbye to crew members, come down for about two weeks in Chicago to really capture the essence of Chicago. And by now, it's um, late February, early March, and it's freezing yeah. in Chicago. Um, yeah. And we shot the Thor scenes and the Expressway scenes and uh, just various stuff that kind of had to be in Chicago. Frat house party scene.
0: Uh
1: Um, And then brought it back home to L.A. for a week of special effects. There were some front projection uh, special effects. So no blue screen, but there was um, some, uh, some, some front projection, I think it's called...
0: What what is that? What is front projection? So
1: you um instead of a rear projection where you project the projector is behind the screen Uh and then the actor stands in front of the screen, um, you the camera itself is a projector. Use a forty five degree angle mirror and um you so from the axis of the lens, there is a scotch light, um highly reflective screen behind the actors and pieces of furniture and stuff you can interact with the set. But the projection doesn't reflect off of the actor's clothing or face. Hmm. So it instantly is a traveling map like a blue screen. Mm-hmm. But there's no processing. You see it in dailies of the next day. And we're dealing with actual film that has yeah. to be printed and color timed and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. that saved a lot of money on special effects because it was done by the end of March. It was filmed and released July.
0: So it was. April, you finished up in March.
1: Yes, and then they did the music, did the editing, did the sound, did the advertising, the posters, printed 1,200 prints of this thing, and released it July 4th weekend.
0: Wow, how to it do on opening weekend?
1: Fantastic, and they uh, increased theaters, and the box office went up the next weekend. We were very happy. Not bad um,
0: for a first uh, film.
1: It was part of Touchstone, which
0: they, Second do, film, they had I'm a sorry.
1: formula. Like Blumhouse has a formula for low-budget horror that looks really good. Um, and they just crank out a lot of them, and every once in a while, they have $100 million hits. Mm-hmm. Touchdown Pictures is doing it at the time with Stakeout and Splash and slightly more adult fare that didn't fit on the Disney label.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Disney is still behind it, but you get um, uh, Ruthless People and uh, Just Blue Steel, slightly more adult... Kind of, oh, that might have been Hollywood Pictures, which is even more adult division of disney for r-rated pictures it was huh. hollywood pictures i didn't know that and they released in the army now co-starring probably Dick. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after adventures and babysitting what was what was next was it don't tell mom babysitter's dead or toy soldiers they came out around the same time oh no time. we've
1: got years of pictures we've got hiding out was next
0: oh that was in there john Cryer. Was, yep
1: and then under the boardwalk, uh, surf movie, uh, and then the Cheetah, a Disney movie. Uh, Cousins, uh, Paramount, with uh, Ted Danson and Isabella Rossellini, Sean Young, William Peterson. That was a f- amazing movie that was in, released in eighty uh, nine. And then brings us to Book of Love uh, and uh, Toy Soldiers, and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitters Did.
0: Okay, Hiding and then a it-
1: series of low budget, low grade surf movies, ninja movies, giant snake movies. Um, low paying, very little watched but fun to make.
0: Yeah, yeah. When we were uh, first in touch a couple months back, I went, started to watch Hiding Out and I didn't get I didn't finish it. I got kids at home so it was hard to get to watch some TV. But mm. but uh I got to finish it because it was really good from what I saw so far.
1: It's a fun picture.
0: It's fun. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I tried to show my daughter who was three Fox and the Hound. Yeah. But you got trumped for a Paw Patrol. That's going to happen. Yeah. I get
1: it. I get it. (laughs) Wait until she does something wrong and then punish the child (laughs) with the viewing of Fox and
0: the Hound. (laughs) See that? (laughs) See that?
1: (laughs) I will bring out the fire hose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, all right. So, so your next, well, not next, but don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. That had, yes, um, also did really well.
1: Very, very fun. Uh, once again, released July. Who releases these little teen comedies in the middle of summer? It just was a different kind of you know time, I guess. But it was a Warner Brothers picture, and um of course, starring Christine Applegate. Yep, uh, working between seasons of Married with Children. And uh, we had a great cast, Joanna Cassidy and Daniel Harris. um, Just uh, stunning. uh, 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 David Duchovny, um, uh, Josh Charles. uh, uh, It's just amazing, amazing cast. Great writers.
0: Directed by Stephen Herrick.
1: He directed Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Okay. Um, And so we were just kind of swimming swimming along with... uh, producers who had done Sex, a videotape. Uh-huh. So they were kind of independent, subversive, slightly outside of Hollywood. A lot of these pictures will be done on what's a deal known as a negative pickup. And what that means is the, the movie studio doesn't make the movie. They don't produce it. A producer does. They make the movie. Uh-huh. And maybe there's a little sound here, a little something, but basically they hand a finished movie to the studio and the studio buys that movie. They buy the negative. It's a they pick up that negative, basically. Huh. So a lot of movies will be shot and then they sell it to a studio and then the studio releases it. And the studio's like, Yeah, that's our that's our label on the movie. We made that. No, they we didn't even know what studios a lot of times you don't even know what studio it's gonna be sold to. Most of the time you do. Most of the time you go, This is a negative pickup for touchdown pictures. Mm-hmm. Go, oh, okay, got it.
0: So was the audition for that um, as nerve-wracking as Adventures in Babysitting? Or were you more used to it by then?
1: Oh, you know, auditioning and working are two different things. Um, so I was up for Brian the Clown Dog Boy in Don't Tell Him When the Babysitter's Dead. And um, felt that I had already done a nerdy guy that was in love with the babysitter with Adventures in Babysitting. I didn't want to repeat that. hmm but I did see this, and I'm um, 19, maybe at the time, 20. And I see the role for Kenny, and this 15 year old stoner who turns into a you know gourmet chef. I was like, this is great. <laughs> um, when I asked my agent about it, he said, "You're too old, not the right type. They're going to cast you know heavy metal long haired kids." And I'm like, oh, fine. I really wanted it, so yeah. I prepared the scenes and i got a wig and a uh, skull vest and torn jeans and um a little baseball cap to cover the wig because it was a cheap 15 dollar wig from burbank hair <laughs> makeup and uh, that i didn't buy for it i'd actually been using it in a, a skits that i was uh, filming with a friend chris young from cpu and great outdoors mm-hmm. max headroom um so uh chris actually helped dress me or style me for Kenny Uh, so I actually did the audition I'm supposed to go out for and after I finished that I pulled the uh, casting director off to the site and I said can I come back in a little bit and just show you something and I'd already done a bunch of movies and stuff and there's you know mutual respect for us both she's done tons of huge movies and it's kind of cracked out of turn but I asked you know kind of for permission to do this so this was was after you auditioned yes this is after Mm I auditioned for Brian the clown dog boy Mm mm-hmm So I go back out in the car and I change into my Kenny outfit and, um, waltz back up about 15 minutes later and, in essence, kick in the door. (laughs) Who's in charge, dude? I was Kenny Man and just did the whole audition. Kind of blacked out. Don't remember. It was just completely in character. Yeah. And, um,. At the end, uh, the casting director had me pull off the wig and the hat, and the directors, the producers did not know I was the same actor. No, um, until I turned off the wig, and I booked it. I probably heard a couple of days after that, I was "like you got it." And they invested in wigs, in real wigs, um, two uh, handmade lace human hair or yak hair wigs. I think they were yak. Uh, they cost $3,000 a piece. Wow. And they were wigs by Ziggy, who was a legendary wig maker in Burbank. And as I'm getting my life cast and my wig made for uh, <laughs> Don't Tell on the Babysitter, I look up and I see a photo of my grandfather. And I go, why do you have a picture of Jackie Coogan on your wall? And he goes, oh, in the 50s and 60s, his PR people wanted him to wear a toupee two events, so I made Jackie Coogan's hairpieces. Wow! <laughs> wow! So
0: the what's the chance. My
1: grandfather's hairpieces made Kenny's wigs.
0: <laughs> nice. Did he know you were his uh, grandson?
1: Yeah, I told him. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. So those, I didn't know that was a wig. I mean, that looked mm-hmm. pretty good in the movie.
1: Pretty good. They closed. They they shaved about a quarter of an inch off of my hairline so that they can put the wig over my hairline and make it look like where it would normally be.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, at the end of the movie, when I cut my hair, that's my normal hair length.
0: Okay, okay.
1: That I had at the time, so.
0: Yeah. So do you ever think when when you're making a movie like that, and then, you know, you had your line in there, the the dishes are done, man, did you ever think that that would become what it became?
1: No, but I did appreciate when it was in the trailer Mm -hmm. so it kind of buttonholes you know. at the end of the trailer, it's the last thing and um, they played the death out of the trailer so a lot of people that hadn't even seen the film were exposed to it and um, it works, they did some extra work on the scene prior to it to set up the joke a little well, just did some additional dialogue replacement and um, set up that, you know, don't forget to do the dishes, I'm like, oh I'll do the dishes that was all post-dubbed to set up because we uh-huh. shot him out of sequence. We shot that scene before we shot actually shooting the dishes. So since anyway, uh-huh. so uh-huh. we didn't know that that line was there yet. Okay. It's not in my script. I can't find a copy of the script that has that line. And I don't know where the line came from.
0: <laughs> so, maybe, maybe, maybe it just came out.
1: Him. Neil, Tara, me, it could have been our one of hellhound or lizard could have come up with it. Cause I know that right after that, he, he says, cleans them down to the shine, <laughs> and people can't hear it because usually there it was in theaters. At least there was laughter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you hope there is, uh, and so I know that a lot of business was created by the stoner guys. Us, we kind of all worked as a team. I know two of them were my friends because LA is a small, big t- city, small town. Um. And uh, you kind of know a lot of people that know Friends of Friends and stuff. And you, you see them on set and it's like, hey, how's it going? I knew Christina Applegate prior to doing the movie. You did? Yes. Um, and so it was like, oh, hey, Christina. How you doing? And just get to work. Um, and uh, and she's, you know, one of the biggest stars at the time. And yeah. I don't think it's ever proven she is anything but a huge, huge star. Uh, and uh, one of those great, stories of you know working since a child and um staying in and just continuing to do great work she's awesome
0: now do you do you um when you're a childhood star like that and you're around (laughs) all the other childhood stars are you guys friends like do you hang out outside of doing the movies together
1: well there's tears there's um kids that are so busy and in Oscar work, and you know, they do things where they cry and stuff. Um, the River Phoenixes, and you know, um, uh, who else was Ricky Schroeder was big when we were kids. Where it was just kind of like they're surrounded by so many PR people and agents and managers, and mm-hmm. they're so busy that you just don't see them out and about a lot, but unless you work with them. Um, and then there are the workhorses and it's just, you know, kids just, there weren't as many children in the business back then. So a group of 40 kids, boys and girls just did all the work. Some mostly did commercials and TV, some did TV and film. Some did only movies. some did theater and could sing and dance and play instruments. And, um, so we had little awards shows. We had, um, you know, uh, fundraising events and, and uh, stuff that you start to get to. And you'd see these kids at the same auditions over and over and over. Oh, There's that kid again. He got that last job. Damn him.
0: Uh, so when you see some people walking in the room, you go, oh shit.
1: Yes, like yeah. Christian Slater would walk in the room and i go, ah shit.
0: <laughs> Might as well leave.
1: But then it was nice, you know, on Facebook I'd reconnect with a lot of actors from that time and they go, you know, I'd be sitting there, and then you'd walk in there. Keith Coogan walks in the room, and they go, Oh shit. So wow. I was that to somebody else. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's <laughs> fun. Do you keep in touch with um, any of, like, your movie cast members?
1: Oh, you do. You try. Uh, everybody's got wives and kids and things, yeah. and... Work, and so it's very hard to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to make effort. And so you do that with the ones you like the most. And sadly, there's ones that I love that I, it's just not easy to get into their kind of circle. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. well, it was maybe it was fun when we were 17, but now, you know, not so much. But, um,. I love everybody. There's so they, you know, three, four movies maybe, where there's people that were refused and you have to kind of work around them. Yeah. But um, they either grow and change, or they're not in the business anymore, so you don't gotta worry
0: about it. Now, you you stayed out of, I guess you would say the, I guess the dark side of Hollywood when you were a kid, right? That a lot of kids fall into.
1: <laughs> yes, because I'm very afraid of how that would affect your career I'm like well like this is i'm not going to be a plumber and i'm not going to go be an english professor maybe teaching but you know you're still performing in front of an audience um so keep your nose clean so you continue to work for disney keep in mind i've done um like a movie of the week the animated movie a feature another disney sunday movie uh, spooner with bob urich and uh and then the Hollywood Pictures movie, the uh, and the Army National so five, six projects for Disney, and you're like, you get a lot of checks from them for the, you know residuals and reruns, and you still audition for Disney shows and movies, and so that's one of those things where you know, I know it's a shortcut, and trust me, I had a lot of friends, um, even family, uh, in the '90s going, hey, you really want to pick up your career? You should you know get arrested for high speed pursuit or drunk driving. Oh jeez. Like I could just keep working, and don't uh, you want to be famous? Like I don't no, want to work. I want to enjoy what I do. I don't. So, you know, we saw the turn into people being famous just for the sake of being famous. Yeah, and it's it's distasteful, but it has a place in pop culture. There's a place on the magazine rack for Time and for the Enquirer. Okay, Time, Life, Enquirer, and you know, the National Examiner. Uh, so there to eat his own.
0: You worked with Kevin Smith.
1: Yes!
0: How did that happen?
1: That happened from uh, my wife uh, going to get uh, um, uh, a a, a picture with uh, Pop Pops on Goldbergs. And uh, Kevin Smith was there speaking. And I had had a Kevin Smith story that I told my wife. That years ago, when the shark is still working, that great three-and-a-half-hour documentary on the making of jobs, um, there was a screening for it at the Smod Castle, which is Kevin Smith's theater. I'd never met Kevin Smith, but I'm a huge fan. Right After the screening, down in the lobby of the theater, there's Kevin Smith holding court, and it's like there's a, a crowd three deep to see. See him, and I'm across talking to my friend, and like see him from across the room, and I don't want to bug him. He's you know being bugged by plenty of people. My sure. theory is, and this is really cocky and shitty to say. Sorry about the language.
0: Ah, I don't worry about him. it. Say whatever you want. It's
1: really cocky to say, but from my experience, maybe you'll work with them. So if you see someone you admire, well, maybe I'll work with them someday. That's my chance to talk to them, not force it another way. I don't like to ask people that stuff. Yeah. And so, but he does look up and he sees me. And um I he kind of gives me a little head nod, like a hey you know. And I'm like, Oh my god, I just got a head nod from Kevin Smith I was so stoked <laughs> he I told you. my wife. Yeah, I'm like, Cool, I can you just you know, saw me kinda of mad dogging him from across the room, I'm like, What's this guy staring at? Just, crazy guy. (laughs) So our mother tells Kevin Smith this, and he goes, who's your husband? And she goes, Keith Coogan. And he he goes, I know exactly who Keith Coogan is. Dishes are done, man. Nice. And uh, she goes, that's great. I can't wait to tell him. And he goes, listen, you know, long before I started making movies, I watched a lot of movies. So anyone who was kind of, you know, in and doing it before he started, it was, he had a certain, you know, way of looking at him. And so it was kind of, it was like, he knew who I was. That was really cool. So, we put ourselves in an opportunity to ask him and sit in front of him. We'd heard that he's making reboot, and I wanted to be in it so bad. It's like oh, I gotta get in reboot. And my wife goes, "Well, you know, at this speech." George Siegel, that's who she went to go get the selfie with. At the speech, the George Siegel star on the Walk of Fame, he said, you know, no one's going to just walk up to you and hand it to you. you got to get off your ass and go, you know, get it and ask for it and go do it.
0: Yeah, go after so
1: it. So she kind of inspired me to ask him. So I tagged, him, hey, my wife's a thing, inspiring. And I said, can I be in Reboot? I want to be in it. And he goes, you're in, you're in, you're in.
0: Just like that.
1: And, from, and that from that point on, he announced it. It was at uh, smud It was at... Um, uh, was it Fat Man Beyond? No, Hollywood Babylon. And he announced it that night. He said, me and Ralph Garman are both going to be in the movie. And this is months before, you know, this is pre-heart attack. Right. So it's way before actually making the movie. Over a year before making the movie. And so I'm trying to keep in touch with Kevin. I can't. I don't know how to get a hold of Kevin. Um, his agent. How's it going to happen? And I hear it's <laughs> developed. Then he gets the heart attack. I'm like, so worried uh, about him. Just you know, screw the yeah, movie. Yeah uh we were there actually pinky my wife and i went to go see him and he had a heart attack between the first and second show so we were there to go see the second show we're sitting in the audience uh. and I go go home he's in the hospital and we're just do we drive right do we go over do we hold vigil? like i feel like yeah, lighting do do? candles and this i didn't know him at all then so we're so it was just such a crazy crazy night when he went down um and nobody saw it it was all backstage
0: uh-huh.
1: so I wound up seeing him on the Sony lot. He's directing an episode of Goldberg's and I see calves behind jorts step out of the back of a soundstage and I back in real quick. And I'm like, the only person I know that wears jorts is Kevin <laughs> Smith. Could that possibly be Kevin? I kind of walk over It I was like right after lunch and I was like all bloated. And I look, and sure enough it's Kevin and I, like, Hey, what's up? And I reconnected with him and you know, how you doing? You're alive. That's great. And, um, uh, I said, "Hey, listen. I'd ask my—I don't even know how to get a hold of you for this movie thingy, whatever. Go up." My agent said to get your production company, then me. And Kevin just gets either tired, bored, or impatient. He goes, "Give me your fucking phone." <laughs> Sorry, I swear it again. He grabs it and just puts his number in it. He goes, "There." And so I just kept on him, and I was like, "Hey, you know." As we got closer, how did we arrange it? Where? What date? What time? He wrote a scene, um, and uh, wound up in New Orleans doing it, which was great. Just so fun to work with and he's very encouraging he um
0: yeah I've heard great real things about him before
1: each take uh and uh when you are rap there's just nice love and speech and everything great great guy
0: now that was that the most recent thing you've done
1: yeah I did uh see uh um quarantine bunch which is uh yeah there is a super secret.
0: Uh-huh.
1: oh uh the quarantine bunch uh a secret society of former child stars that um, because of coronavirus, they're now meeting on Zoom. So they have a former child star secret meetings on Zoom, and you can tune in and see as they go off the rails. Uh, and then <laughs> Wrong Reasons, which was uh, Josh Rauch directed Magnum Dopus, which was the making of James Allen, reboot. Beautiful film. And um, he made a feature, a thriller, comedy, suspense, dark you know, uh, dark comedy film. And had me in as a role, and this is in the middle of COVID, with the testing and the masking, and you know the SAG um, watchdog on the set to make sure that the protocols and, and COVID protocols are being followed.
0: Yeah, was that difficult working during this?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. Once you get down to
0: shooting, you
1: really do. Nowadays, with digital, you spend most of your time on your mark, actually doing the job. So, uh-huh. and everyone's tested, and nobody's got the you know coronavirus on the set, so you feel pretty comfortable.
0: Uh-huh. You also did some stand-up comedy at some point.
1: I did. I went up for Virgin Sacrifice at West Side Comedy um, off Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica, California. And the, the thing, they open you with a bunch of great comics and then uh, sacrifice you to the crowd. You had to have never done comedy before and had to have written your own act. So... um I said yes and it was the craziest thing I'd ever done and it's on YouTube there's a uh, you can see my my set <laughs> my type 5 on YouTube
0: <laughs> what, what, was it good was
1: it <laughs> uh, I was very happy with it and yeah. of course it's not fair because you pack the audience with friends and family and, you know, fans and people rooting you on, so mm-hmm. they're kind of picking up everything you're putting down. I didn't I didn't flop. Uh-huh. Like I did the second time I went up. Months later, there was a uh, Coyotes of Comedy out in um, Sunland, or no, where were we? Redlands. And I bombed. I tried to do the same uh-huh. act. I could, wasn't in the same vibe. I, I bombed. I had the whole... It was okay. There was laughs and stuff, but it was... Um, there was a thank God there was an act a few acts later that was so bad like the audience got hostile towards them everybody forgot that I wasn't hundred percent on my timing or <laughs> totally present I was crapping my pants I was like just didn't you know it was a different crowd yeah and so that's what I'm learning so now we'll see if I get a third chance
0: <laughs> yeah so you're up to do it again though right you would do it yeah again. totally that's that seems like that's got to be more nerve-wracking than film or tv or
1: yeah it is you're all your solo you have to write direct act cut edit do everything all in yourself that's crazy
0: is it hard to make people laugh
1: is it hard to make people laugh yeah. no god no it's not hard to make no? people laugh at all no, no i've been doing that since i was a child it's bread and butter for me uh-huh. it's um people are pretty funny so if you can just do something that people relate to, and and in their mind they might go, I, I would do that, or yeah. I've done that before, then you can make them laugh. Trust huh. me. Uh,
0: I will. I'm going to have to try it at work tomorrow see what happens. <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get a call from the labor department. Yes, we need to speak with you.
0: <laughs> have you ever uh, wrote your own scripts?
1: Oh yeah, tons, and and uh, I've written everything from short films to pilots to features to series uh, episodes of series. Really? And unfortunately, some idiot paid me money to option a script, so I've actually made money by writing words into a word processor, and um, all that doesn't encourage me. So yeah, I've got one of everything laying around at all various budget levels.
0: Uh-huh. How about how about directing?
1: Great, you got a few mil?
0: <laughs> sure
1: cool then let's do it I would, I'm totally I'm directing let's do it <laughs> yeah thanks sounds like you're producing <laughs>
0: <laughs> I won't tell the wife um, what was that? I won't tell no. the wife thanks <laughs> and then you know you also have you and your wife Pinky have your Hollywood Tales YouTube I saw we
1: do Keith and Pinky's Hollywood Tales tell me about and that that not,
0: looked pretty fun
1: It is fun, and we're, you know, haven't even really done anything with it yet. Um, It was, you know, can't be Pinky and Keith's because of Pinky and the Brain. Uh So it's the only reason I have first billing. Otherwise, Pinky would have gotten it. It's, It's both. Okay, so she's a fangirl, so you see what it's like for a fangirl that loves to get people's selfies. And then I've got me, who's an actor. And, you know, come from this jaded family, fourth generation of Hollywood, so I'm like, this is just a job, I'm no star, I'm just, you know, fake humble. Um, just doing this, just happy to be alive and still in Hollywood and talking to you right now. Very happy to be here. I know a lot of people that aren't. Um, and uh, so the channel lets you see our lives together. We have this romance, this love story, this uh, epic film, rom-com love story with video from the day we met. And so it um, just kind of shares our story. And it can go anywhere from, you know, there's still tons of different things I haven't done with the channel yet. Um, So now you're just kind of building it and building um, viewers. People can tune in. I've got stuff in 360 that's kind of fun, too. If you want to do VR, you can go and see Keith and Pinky in VR uh, at uh, Keith and Pinky's Hollywood Tales on YouTube.
0: Nice. i got to check that out. And you have your own website keith coogan official is it it is keith coogan Online, Online, that's right online.com and you have merchandise for sale up there i saw
1: yep that'll take you over to a big cartel site where i do headshots and what do you call it um mini posters or my tens production stills and uh dishes i sign plates dishes are done man (laughs) and uh then i also am on cameo as well
0: so nice. you going to get any more of those Christmas ornaments?
1: Uh we I made so many of those, man. Oh my god. Yeah. So, yes, uh the ornaments were a huge hit. We went through all of our like raw supplies, so um we need to gear and tool up. They'll, they'll probably be something different. Okay. Next year. That's the one. We we have a couple of ideas, but those were I have to thank everybody who who jumped in and grabbed some of those it kept me busy for two
0: weeks that was fun i saw those and then i saw they were both (laughs) sold out and i was like son of a bitch
1: i know they did they've eventually i'm down to like three blanks that are kind of rough and i couldn't really i can give them away to friends and family but a paying customer can't get these things Uh. they're more prototypes than uh yeah
0: I'm going to have to get... They're all
1: handmade and and spray-painted and then signed and um,
0: chipped out in cute little packages. Well, I'll have to get a plate. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Hang the plate on the wall. (laughs) All right, Keith. Well, I got one more question for you because I, you know, watching Keith and Pinky's Hollywood Tales, you ask these celebrities different... Two questions, I guess, right? Yes. So one of the questions you ask them is, what is their strangest fan encounter? Yes. What What is yours?
1: Wow. Uh well, I uh, I I've had a lot of strange fan encounters. Um when uh oh I don't know. I can't say. It's on our video. It's on our two question interview and that is the day that me and Pinky met. Um that's one of the stories. So I don't want to repeat that story, but uh, I've had everything from stalking to uh, roses left on your car, um, prank phone calls and mail, death threats. Jeez. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, you 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 know nothing. You can't. My grandfather said you can't really listen to it when people say, "Oh, you're great," or "Oh, I love this," or uh-huh. "I love that." Because then when they say, oh, you're, that was terrible, or, oh, you're a has-been, or, oh, that, you know, I hated that, he goes, that, that hurts, so you can't you can't really take the good, because then you also got to take the bad. So
0: That's just true. don't
1: take it too seriously. Um, I've had a mob of girls tear clothes off of me um, once,
0: <laughs> but uh,
1: that was fun, but it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> uh so, um, I
0: don't know, it's so a you. wild, you
1: know, it's different for every single actor and every single child actor, yeah. As a, even though you go, oh, child actors, or there's regular kids and then child actors. Each child actor has a completely different experience from each other. Yeah. How old were they when they became a hit? How long were they in it doing it? Did they have family in that inoculated them before? Yeah, yeah. I find a lot of the ones that are no longer with us didn't have family in the business All of the progeny of Hollywood are too smart for that. They figured out how to handle the ups and downs. Oh, nobody loves me anymore. and I'm a teenager. and Now I'm not a cute little kid anymore. Well, if you have family that prepped you on that, hey, listen, because my grandfather is pretty famous for not working after he was 13 years old until he was 50 with Uncle Fester. Yeah. So they prepare you for that, and you're not quite as crushed when the calls stop coming in as much.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that makes sense. But if
1: you if you have no one that's ever been through that, and they come in to Hollywood, um, and this I I had a blog that was called Tales of the Bone Machine because it'll take you, it'll crunch up and spit out the dust and bones if uh-huh. you're not careful. It's a very big, big beast, and egotism and narcissism come part of it. People can get kind of wrapped up in the story and believe their own press,
0: uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. and that's dangerous. I'm
0: sure. Hey, would you ever play, uh, Uncle Fester?
1: Yes, I'm dying to, because not only did Tim Burton announce he's doing a TV series of out of family, but I'm the same age that my grandfather was when he portrayed Uncle Fester. That's right. Yes. I am 51. He was actually 50. I'm older than my grandfather was. And Tim Burton and I have worked together on the Fox and the Hound. He was animator.
0: Have you thrown your name in there?
1: I I tweeted it out. We're trying to get Coogan as Fester again.
0: That would be awesome.
1: (laughs) I I got the voice.
0: (laughs) I'm ready. Shoot him in the back. Morticia. Can you light up a light bulb?
1: I'll I'll go
0: grab it right now. (laughs) I should
1: shoot a screen test. I should shave my head shoot a screen test. All dark and gothic looking. Yeah. With the voice and the same face structure. I think fans would love
0: it. He had some cool faces. I used to love his faces. He would make. Mm, yummy. <laughs> All right, Keith. Well, listen, man, it was great talking to you. I had a blast. Um, you know, I, I you're having a great career. And I look thanks. forward to seeing you keep it going.
1: Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate the support. And thanks for having me on and giving me the time.
0: Definitely. All right, Keith. Well, listen, take care.
1: All right, you take care, too. Have a good night, and be safe. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast, available on all your favorite podcast
0: listening platforms.